Today's Hail to the District podcast is brought to you by our newest presenting sponsor, and that's JokerChoker.com. JokerChoker.com is the home of the Joker Choker Pro Football Pick'em Poker Game, which is a new type of football picking game that brings the strategy of poker to the idea of making weekly football picks. Each week, you pick your game winners and then try to build the best poker hands from the winning team's cards. What's unique about this pick'em style of game is that because you get up to 50 bonus points on top of your pick'em points, you're never out of the running for first place, even if you have a couple of weeks of bad hands. It's easy to play, it's free to play, but it takes strategy to win. Over $500 in prizes are available, so sign up for your free account at jokerchoker.com, that's J-O-K-E-R-C-H-O-K-E-R.com, and use the promo code DISTRICT for bonus points to help you get started today. Welcome to the Hail to the District podcast with your host, Rajan Nanavati. Welcome to another edition of the Hail to the District podcast. I'm Rajan, and with the official start of the NHL season starting this evening, I'm really pleased to be joined by Bupinder Hundle of Hockey Night in Canada. Um, Bupinder, first of all, thank you so much for hopping on. Uh, how are things on your end? They're fantastic. We're just uh, eagerly awaiting the uh, start of the season. So it should be a good set of games to start the season tonight. I imagine. I was going to say, it's probably a little bit of an exciting time considering we'll be submersed in hockey for like the next six plus months or so. Yeah, and then the playoffs, which is always the the darling. The playoffs, of the they're, season. they're really, I mean, even from a big NFL perspective, I'm an NFL guy first and foremost, and I love the basketball playoffs, but the hockey playoffs, there's just a buzz in electricity that they're really, objectively speaking, is nothing like it. Yeah, it's just the grind that really, yeah, really makes it difficult, right? Yeah, plus the awesome beards too. I, I totally get down with that. I want an excuse to not shave for three months, but um, I think my significant other, my wife, would not be pleased with it. <laughs> um, I thought we start off, unfortunately, in the topic of playoffs with my hometown, Washington Capitals, and unfortunately rehashing yet another heartbreakingly early exit from the playoffs last May. And, you know, in your opinion, whether or not you think they can get back to fulfill the promise of what's probably their most loaded roster in team history. And then we can kind of dive into the East, determine whether or not the cursed Pittsburgh Penguins, who are definitely our arch rivals, um, or someone else again, the Caps away, and then kind of things are how looking out how West um, and, uh, you know, some of the teams out there. But we'll start with the Capitals, and I'm really curious from a non-East Coast, non-DC area, mid-Atlantic area, being that you're <laughs> out on the West Coast, how does A, an outsider, and then B, also layering the Canadian factor, how do you guys view the Capitals, both their regular season last year, and then kind of what happened in the playoffs? Well, I don't think it's any kind of shock that the Washington Capitals have always done well during the regular season. They've had some fantastic regular seasons um, and but I think it's always been the question of how do we get past the second round? Yep. That just seems to be the hurdle that they can never get past. And I know there's a lot of pressure on Alex, um, and I think the fans there really want him to put the team on his shoulders and lead them to the promised land. And I think Ovechkin does put a lot of that pressure on himself too. But to be honest, if I look in my estimation to what happened last season, I think it was more the supporting cast that really got outplayed by the supporting cast of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, Depth was an issue and it got exposed, frankly, because I think, you know, the Penguins, I mean, Crosby didn't knock the Capitals out. It wasn't that Crosby outplayed Ovechkin. I think what really happened was you had that HBK line that was rolling for the Penguins. That was a difference maker. There wasn't really anything on the Capitals end that could really match that. 
I think that suspension that Brooks Brooks Orpik took in that uh, in that series with that hit on Olimata that really hurt them too because it also exposed a little bit of their def- uh, defensive deficiencies and their lack of depth there. I mean, you know, the likes of Taylor Chorney and Mike Weber they weren't playing all that much. So now you're really you know reducing the number of defensemen that you're using down to like you know four really that they were using. In, in many of those games and you know con- playing that much and then contending with the speed that penguins had that posed such significant problems the other difference maker was the matchup down the middle uh the center ice position i think there was a big you know discrepancy there i think that's where the penguins edged the capitals out and this is the question i think coming into to this season for the washington capitals in my mind the most important player for them is if jenny kuznetsov uh, yeah. If Jenny Kuznetsov is is going to need to elevate his game, he had a remarkable regular season last year. He was the leading scorer on the team. But in the playoffs, we didn't see that same Kuznetsov that we saw during the regular season. And I think at playoff time, it, it just can't be all on Alex's shoulders. It's got to be you know a collective group that's going to elevate their game. And hopefully that propels them you know, towards the third round and hopefully into the Stanley Cup Finals. But that's what's going to need to happen for the Washington Capitals if they want to take that next step. Yeah, a lot of a lot of great points. I mean, I don't think you'd be hard pressed to find a DC sportsman who would disagree with literally anything you said. Um, when the Caps got there, so we in DC and some of the cynics, when the Caps were falling short and before they hired Trots and and after you know the whole Hunter era and and then you know with falling short with Gabby Bruce Boudreaux and all of those things, and there was the talk, you know, is Alex Ovechkin the guy or is he kind of a glorified Brett Hull if you want to call it that he's all scoring, but like when you really need him to do play either play two ways or be the all-around player is he that guy and I think especially he really bought in under trots and I would say I'd venture to say that this past postseason was probably his best but exactly to your point it was Ovechkin there was a big hand uh, big assist from TJ Oshie no pun intended but then it was really about it like they guys like you know Kuznetsov and, and a lot of the other guys on down the other lines they just they didn't show up um, it was it was Ovechkin, it was uh, Oshie, and it was Braden Holtby trying to do everything by himself. And then the HBK line, especially Phil Kessel, God, it was it was such a pain in the you know what. Um, DC Sports is always cursed that we always have this one guy always on some random like some random team. He's usually the guy who's not performing well, and they always torture us. It's always some <laughs> random player. Um, for so many years on the on the Penguins, it was actually Peter Nedved. It wasn't like Lemieux yes. or Yager. It was Peter Nedved was our tormentor. Like that guy would smoke us all the time. And this year it was Phil Kessel. Every, all the bad things about Phil Kessel, and then of course Phil Kessel basically just you know ruins us. And um, defensive pairings couldn't agree more. Uh, you know Orlov and Schmidt had to play a lot more time. Orpik killed us with so many dumb penalties, and it was just one after another. So then you know and Schmidt was up and down, really talented, but then he would make a dumb move. And you'd be like, "That's the Nate Schmidt experience." And then, um, and it was, and you know, the kind of kind of the funny thing. Going back to the d- d- defense thing you're talking about, you would have thought with the injuries that the Penguins had, that that would be their downfall. Right. That other teams would have more depth than the Penguins. And this is another thing: when injuries happen in the playoffs, especially, the other players on the team really need to step up. And I think what you really saw with the Penguins was. When one person went down, another player stepped up, and they played incredibly well, and they played better than what people expected. So I think when you know when you come to the playoffs, that's incredibly important. That when players, if they go down for injury or whatever the case may be, 
everyone has to play a significant role, a bigger role, and elevate their game if they want to propel their team further. So building on that, um, the Caps largely returned the same team. I think Jason Chimero was the only player that was really a significant loss. He signed, I think, with the Islanders um, to upgrade the third line. They brought in Lars Eller, I believe, from Montreal, brought him in from free agency. Um, So it's by and large the same thing. And then they're going to expect some of the young guys like a Jakub Vrana and, and, and those guys to really kind of step up some of the defensemen to really grow up a little bit. But again, by and large, it's the same team. Um, I really wonder, are they going to try to maybe take their foot off the gas pedal a little bit during the regular season and kind of save some of that steam for the postseason? Because there were a few guys who kind of admitted they were like, we peaked in like February and March and it was really hard to kind of pick up that intensity again in late April, early May, whereas teams like Pittsburgh who were fighting from, you know, the midseason slump they were in to get into the playoffs, even a team like Philadelphia who got hot in March and April and they gave us problems, um, you know, it took a lot longer. It should have to dispatch them in, in the in the first opening round. And the Caps definitely did say that to turn that switch back on, it was not easy for them. And I don't know if they ever did or they may not admit it, but they just they, they never did get there. They didn't say look like the same team in April or in May that they did look that they looked like in Feb- in uh, February. Well, certainly, you know. <laughs> It's a double-edged sword, really. You know, when you're playing well in the regular season, you want to make sure that you can continue to do the things that make you successful and and do that for a prolonged period of time. But one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to take it too easy during the regular season because the standings are so tight, because the, the, the ability to make the playoffs versus not making the playoffs, that margin of error is so small. Uh, you really, you each regular season game does mean something. Yes, the Capitals went on this incredible run and just blew everybody out of the water. Um, And to expect them to do that again, I I don't think would be, you know, realistic. But this is still a top, you know, top four team in the Eastern Conference. And whether they're first, second, third, or fourth, I really don't think it matters. I think what's really going to matter is the first day of the playoffs. That's where they got to be amped up. And and that's where they got to be ready to go. And that's where their goal should be that, hey, the regular season is just to make sure we make the playoffs. Once we get in the playoffs, then anything happens. And we've seen that time and time again in the NHL more than any other sport. Once you get in, it's a brand new lease on life. So it doesn't matter where you place in the standings. You know, there's very little difference between the teams, between the top and the bottom, who barely make it. Believe me, we're still having flashbacks of Yaroslav Halak about four years ago taking the number eight Montreal Canadiens and upsetting us when we won the President's Cup. So we're very, very cognizant of that fact. Two President's Cups in five years and not a whole lot to show for it. So, yeah. Well, President's Trophies, I mean, you know, teams can win them, but oftentimes... That doesn't mean you're going to win the cup. And if you've looked back at some of the recent history of the fantastic teams who have won those trophies, they haven't lifted the cup at the end of the year. So I think, you know, take what take what you will of that. (laughs) Yeah. Hockey. So I was just talking to this with friends. I think the only sport where you're really like, okay, the best team in the regular season is probably going to end up the best team three months later or two months later when the playoffs is over is basketball. But I feel like in football, in hockey especially, even in baseball, um, as the baseball playoffs are going on right now, it's very much about who, like, get into the playoffs. And then, as you said, the quote-unquote second season really starts and everything is 0-0 and everyone's equal and it really depends on who's playing the best for those next two months, irrespective of everything happened the prior three to five months. 
Whereas, That's precisely up. Yeah, whereas in, in basketball, you know, if you have LeBron or if you have the Golden State Warriors lineup, then you know you're going to be probably looking fine uh, in the in the postseason. Um, but I digress. You mentioned a lot of the teams in the East. So there's obviously Pittsburgh. Um, the Pittsburgh is always our our arch nemesis, our top foil, whatever you want to call it. Tampa Bay has really emerged over the last couple of years with all the young talent mixed with guys like the Stamkos and and the older the veterans they have there. Uh, the Rangers are another flying ointment. They've dispatched the Capitals twice in the past few years. Montreal's kind of lurking as well. Um, so is it pretty much Pittsburgh and Tampa who you would say are the, are the top contenders to possibly, de- I, don't know, I shouldn't say dethrone because we haven't won anything, but really to emerge out of the East? Well, yeah, I, I think the conventional wisdom is yes, absolutely. Now it's going to be interesting to see how Sidney Crosby yeah, is going to be playing with another concussion that he has now and how that's going to change what the Penguins are going to do here in the early part of the year. Obviously, there's no timetable as to when he's going to return, but I'm sure hockey fans everywhere I'm hope, are hoping that he comes back healthy. Except for in um, DC. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. They're not big fans of Crosby. But no, I mean, yeah, I'm... You know, I think, yes, definitely it's Pittsburgh, all things being equal, all teams being healthy. It's the Penguins. It's the Lightning. I really think the Lightning are on the cusp of, of being that great team. I mean, they were in the, the finals two years ago. Last year, they made it to the conference final. Could have easily propelled themselves into the final. Um, I think that team, with the nucleus that they've been able to establish there, by making sure they've sorted out their contract situations, although Kucherov is still outstanding, it's probably all going to happen. Um, that team, I think, is ready to make that jump. And if there's one team I would pick, it would be the Lightning. The only concern I have for the Lightning, though, is they've had a couple of seasons where they've had ex- extended playoff runs. And that can really wear a team down. Yeah. When you're playing that much extra hockey, um, you know it can really hurt you. And it's really hard to do that year in and year out. So that would be one concern I would have uh, with Tampa if they can continue to play that much extra hockey and see if that can propel them uh, to the next step. Those are definitely the two teams. Of course, the one team that I think, you know, everyone's going to watch in the East and see how they're going to do is the Montreal Canadiens because last year we saw how awful they were without Carey Price. And with Carey Price... It's a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Before Carey Price went down, that team was the best team in the league. And when he went down, they went from being the best to being the absolute worst. Um, so this season, with Carey Price back, with Shea Weber now into the lineup, it's going to be interesting to see how this team performs. They could be still maybe fighting for a playoff spot, or they can really get on a good run and propel themselves into the top four or five in the Eastern Conference. So that's very doable for that team. But it's going to be interesting to see, because nobody can really pinpoint where Montreal is going to fall, because they still have questions, especially up front, and they still have some questions on the defense. What are your thoughts on the P.K. Subban and, and Shea Weber trade? That was kind of a big deal, both across, I mean, both for both teams individually, for what those players kind of meant. But then across the league, because, you know, Shea Weber was Mr. Nashville. P.K. Subban was so talented, a little bit of a knucklehead, you know, at times, or a little bit of a pain in the you-know-what. And then for them to kind of swap each other, you know, you have talent, and then you have the experience. Some people made the argument that Weber might be on the wrong side of his career, kind of approaching the decline. But just from your thoughts, what, 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 how would you kind of break down the trade well you know to be honest i was shocked as much as anybody else when that trade was actually made and pk suban was sent to nashville right. um 
here's the thing. P.K. Subban, he is a dynamic player. He got people excited uh, in Montreal for what he could do on the ice. Of course, Michelle Therrien, the coach, was not too pleased about some of the decisions he would make, uh, some of the risky moves and some of the risky plays he would make that would result in turnovers that would go the other way um, and then result in, in scoring opportunities and sometimes the worst, a goal. Um, and that was kind of frustrating. And he was a larger-than-life personality. And in my eyes, it wasn't so much of an issue um, I thought it was refreshing to see uh, a hockey player show his personality and, and be out there and do the incredible charitable work that he was doing as well. So I think it was quite, a sh- quite shocking that they would send P.K. Subban. Um, and Shea Weber, look, I'm a big Shea Weber fan. He is a fantastic player. I think he is going to make Montreal better for sure. But for how long is the big question. Because P.K. Subban is four years younger, he's still dynamic, and he is a Norris Trophy winner. And if he can get in the right situation, in the right place, P.K. Subban can be an unbelievable player. And many thought perhaps Michelle Therrien wasn't the right coach for P.K. Subban. Perhaps Peter Laviolette is going to get more out of P.K. Subban uh, than he's ever gotten in his career. So, again... And the Shea Weber contract is one long one. He signed a 14-year deal. So what is that going to look like on the tail end? Uh, that's the big question mark in Montreal. So right now he's 31 years old. He may look good until about 33 or 34, even to 35. But after that, what is it going to look like? That is a big concern. Interestingly enough, if you want to look at Nashville's perspective, I think it's unbelievable what David Poyle has done, really. He had two solid top-notch defensemen. He had Shea Weber and he had Seth Jones, and he traded them both. Yeah. And there's teams in the league that would die to have one. defensemen like that. Just one of them. Yeah. He had two of them, and he traded both of them. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Both of those players resulted in Ryan Johansson and P.K. Subban. Now it's going to be interesting to see how Nashville performs and if they can get over the hump uh, in the Western Conference. Yeah, a long time ago, David Poyle is the GM of the Caps, so Caps fans are very familiar with him. Might not know that he's out in Nashville now because Nashville's you know, not exactly a premier market in terms of national recognition. But uh, yeah, we're, we're very familiar with David Poyle. He's pretty much the architect of the wave one of the Capitals in um, the 80s and 90s. So he was always good. Um, I think at the time it was just you know riding the carousel of uh, front office changes. But yep, Nashville is funny. Nashville played really well after letting go of Trotz, but they, I think they still finished what in the, they, they lost in the second round of the playoffs, which was kind of Trotz MO. And then Trotz came here and the Capitals lost in the second round of the playoffs. Um, yeah. Do we make anything of the Rangers? I mean, Henrik Lundqvist is always Henrik Lundqvist, although we don't know for how long. Um, they also seem like they're just, it's a lot of top heavy talent. Um, I don't know how much they have on the back end in terms of youth and what their next, how they're going to look over the next few years. I think this team is in transition, to be honest. Uh, They had a solid three-year run where they're in the conference finals three straight years. They went to the cup final in 2014, lost to the Kings. But I think their window has passed now. I I, I don't consider them to be a a contender. I think they're going to be battling for a playoff spot. They're going to be in that mix of teams between probably 6 and 12 that are going to be battling for that for those playoff positions and potentially a wild card position in the Eastern Conference. The Rangers are on the wrong side. Uh, they are not on the upswing. They are on the downswing. They need to get more youth going into their lineup. They need to stockpile their farm system. And 
I, I, I think New York being New York, I mean, last year I was not a big fan of the deadline they made for Eric Stahl. Reason to give up something you need to, to get you back to where you want to be um, and sacrifice that for Eric Stahl, who did absolutely nothing when he got there, and then the agency is now in Minnesota. So I think Rangers need to stop making types of moves. They need to sell the team if they have the ability to kind of move some of their veterans who can go on and help uh, a team who may be in a contending position, trade them, stockpile some picks, or if you're not going to trade them, hold on to them. But don't acquire, go out and try to acquire uh, more rental-type players at the deadline because I don't think the Rangers are in any kind of position uh, to, to make those deep runs. I think they got to start thinking about what their plan is going to be two, three years down the road. Yeah, it's a very big market mentality. They're like, we're not going to rebuild. We're not going to rebuild. We're just going to kind of keep filling in the cracks with these high-priced acquisitions and these big-name acquisitions. You know, that one last player to kind of keep extending the window type of thing instead of realizing, okay, we can't mortgage tomorrow for today. Um, it, 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 that's exactly what it was with the, with the stall move. Anybody? Yeah, else? and too many and too many first round draft picks they've given up over the last many years. You just can't do that. Anybody else that could lurk? Uh, you know, maybe somebody like the Islanders or perhaps you know Detroit or Boston. Anybody kind of lurking there that could you know maybe surprise people? Like they're not considered to be a favorite, but you know maybe could jump into that top four mix. Well, I think Detroit is also going to have some issues. I, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. To be honest, um, yeah, I think their streak. Uh, their playoff consecutive streak is going to come to an end. The Islanders, I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to how they're going to perform. John Tavares is amazing, yep. but I think how much is the loss of Kyle Okpulzu going to hurt that team? I think that is going to be an interesting question. I know they've brought in Ladd, uh, and he's going to be on uh, Tavares' wing. It's going to be interesting to see if that if that's going to be enough to kind of keep them where they were last year. I think the Florida Panthers, I think that's the team that everybody's expecting to take a little bit of that jump. I think they're going to take a little bit of a step back. I think the fact that Jonathan Huberto is now going to be out for three to four months, I think is really going to hurt that team. Because, you know, and to expect Yarmer Yager to perform exactly the way he did last year, I think is also expecting a little bit much. So, you know, there's other losses that they, they had, uh, you know, with the Florida Panthers as well. Obviously, Willie Mitchell didn't play much. He's out of the mix because uh, of his concussion issues. Eric Gabranson was traded to Vancouver. Brian Campbell is now out of the mix. He's gone uh, to the Chicago Blackhawks. So it'll be interesting to see how Florida performs, but I think that Huberto injury is really going to set them back. And, you know, that's why I think it's going to be quite the logjam uh, in the Eastern Conference. Who's going to make the playoffs? It's so tight. I don't think many of the teams have done anything to separate themselves, really. I think, if anything, they've even bunched up even closer to one another. So it'll be interesting to see. You know, Ottawa's going to be in the mix. Boston's going to be in that mix. Buffalo's going to be in that mix. Carolina, I think, will be in that mix. New Jersey, now with Taylor Hall in their lineup, I think they'll be in the mix. So it's, it's going to be a really fascinating season to see who comes in in those last two wildcard spots. Um, in the Eastern Conference Final, because I think it's just going to be an outright log jam. Of course, Philadelphia was able to get hot and make it in there too. They're going to be part of that mix as well. Yeah, it's just, so it sounds like a big NHL Royal Rumble out in, in the East in terms of whoever's just going to be the last couple the, of teams standing. You, you know what? That's the perfect way of putting it. It's 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 literally going to be a Royal Rumble. That's that's fantastic. Um, 
just as an aside, you mentioned Yaromir Yager, and it's just incredible that th- that dude's still in the league. I was watching Yaromir Yager when I was in college, and I graduated college. Well, wait, Yager got traded to the Capitals when I was still in college, and that's well over a decade ago. And the fact that Yager's still in the league is just incredible. Oh, he's an unbelievable player. There's no oh, doubt about yeah. that. He was unbelievable, except for when he went to Washington, which is so typical. But I digress. <laughs> um, so jumping out east, uh, excuse me, jumping out west, um, you would think, you know, advancing all the way to the cup and you know they didn't do much when they got there because pittsburgh got so hot but san jose obviously won the west but they well coming into the season you were mentioning brian campbell chicago seems to be the odds on favorite even despite losing in the first round of st louis last year you know everyone's talking about jonathan taves and patrick kane and then campbell adding it on they've got the experience um they're actually in some books take it for what it's worth they're the favorites out of the entire league to win the cup and then, I mean, substantially over maybe a team like San Jose, a team like Dallas, Anaheim, L.A., um, is, you know, I could probably make arguments for some of those other teams, but is Chicago really that much better than everybody else? I don't think so. I, you know, I'd be concerned about the Chicago Blackhawks. And give credit to Stan Bowen, who's done an unbelievable job in making sure that he has brought in players, uh, a supporting cast, uh, to Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook and, and you know Marion Hosa is part of that mix as well. Yeah, I forgot Hosa. But it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see because they are gonna have quite an interesting lineup that they're gonna go with uh, this season. Because if you look at the third and the fourth lines, you'll be like, uh, who and what? So like you've got I, I think line rushes today for the Blackhawks. They had Taves with Hosa and Richard Ponick who at one point was like on the fourth line for the Toronto Maple Leafs, barely cracking their lineup. Hmm. Panarin, Anisimov, and Kane, we knew they were fantastic from last season. And after that, it's a mishmash of who knows who. Uh, Mott, Kruger, and like it's going to be your third line that you're going to go with. Uh, there are significant problems, especially on the bottom six, uh, that Chicago is going to have. And, you know, when you get Andrew Shaw, who's now gone to Montreal, that's going to be a huge loss for that team. Andrew Desjardins uh, being on injured reserve, he's going to be out four to six weeks. That's going to hurt that team. So I have real concerns up front, especially for the Chicago Blackhawks, especially that bottom six. Because once you get past those first two lines, there just isn't much there. And in past seasons, I don't know, maybe they'll surprise us. But, you know, you had other players like Tara Vinan who would step in and, and make a play. Or in the playoffs, like when they got Vermette, who scored some big playoff goals for them. Andrew Ladd they brought in uh, at the trade deadline last year. It's going to be interesting to see how they fill the rest of the lineup. But I think that Andrew Shaw is a huge loss for that team. Yeah, if you're you know thin on the last two lines, you know, th- those are the lines where you, know, you can give up a, go- a goal or two in the playoffs and you might not be able to overcome that because, again, everything gets much tighter, everything gets much tougher. Whereas, at least, you know, I was really surprised to see San Jose, at least in my opinion, not getting the love because they've got the depth at center. You know, Thornton's obviously there, Pavelski's there, Logan Couture is there. They've got depth on their lines. They've got defensemen who can move the uh, the puck. And they've also got cheap contracts where they can kind of keep guys there and not have to worry about, you know, who are we going to trade later on? And do we have to trade the deadline because we have to, you know, worry about our books and next year and, and, and what have you with the cap. So, 
it was very surprising to me. I mean, yes, they also got out skated by Pittsburgh, much in the way that Washington did, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, they're going to fall back to some of the other teams out West. And I, I personally am not that impressed. I think Anaheim and LA are kind of getting a bit long in the tooth. Like we were talking about with the Rangers. Um, I don't know. If I had to put my money, if I were to so, so inclined to bet, I would still put San Jose as the favorites as cliche as that might sound. Yeah, I think San Jose, uh, in my eyes, is definitely the team in the West, or in the Pacific Division at least, that I think will be the one to watch. I think the Kings, they've lost uh, Lucic in, in the offseason. They've lost uh, Marion Gabrick here to an injury because of the World Cup. Um, you know, and Jonathan Quick, he wasn't all that great in the World Cup, to be honest, and he hasn't been all that great since that cup run, uh, the last yeah, since the cup. Well, even that cup run, he wasn't all that fantastic. So I, I'm growing a little bit concerned about, you know, where Los Angeles is, and I think they're on the decline. And again, Daryl Sutter is a fantastic coach, uh, no doubt about that. But for how long can you have a coach like that coaching the team? Uh, you know, they can be effective for about three years, I think. But after that, message starts getting a little stale. I don't know if the players can really buy into that kind of that kind of motivation on a on a, on a year in year out basis, day in and day out basis. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting times in Los Angeles, uh, Anaheim. I think they really got to sort out. They got some cap issues. They're really going to have to sort out how they're going to make a, a deal with uh, Hampus Lindholm. I think he's going to be the key there. And if they do sign him, what's that going to mean for Camp Fowler, who many teams want because one of those players is going to have to go and the likely one is going to be Cam Fowler. So what's that going to look like uh, for the Anaheim decks? That's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, so Anaheim is kind of an interesting foil again, going back to the, tying everything back to the capitals or not intentionally because Bruce Boudreaux was out there and then him moving on, I believe to Minnesota, they've also kind of become one of the sleeper teams out West, um, Right? Yes, they were high in Minnesota. That's what I thought. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, Minnesota, given his wide open style of playing and, you know, what he's done with Anaheim for the last few years, could be a little bit of a sleeper team. Not necessarily to make it deep into the playoffs, but emerge into that mix of, you know, the teams that we were just talking about. Well, I think Minnesota can can definitely get a little bit of a kick up because of Bruce Boudreaux. I don't think they have enough to, to kind of jump over the hump. Um, I really do think the team to watch in that division is going to be the Nashville Predators. I think they're right on the cusp there. So I think um, more so than Minnesota, uh, I'd be looking out for Nashville. Um, I think their defense is is unbelievable. It's going to be interesting to see how their forwards will come together and if Johansson can have a bigger year than he had last year um, because he's going to be the most important player up front for them. Um, and then, of course, Pekka Rene, who there were some questions in whether he can, p- can perform in the playoffs. Uh, he did get them within one game of making that uh, that Western Conference final, but they fell short to San Jose. You know, Nashville, I think, and then Minnesota. And then it's going to be interesting to see how Colorado performs this year with the coaching change with Patrick Waugh out and a new coach coming in and bringing a little bit more structure. They've looked very good here in this preseason. Not that preseason should tell you much, but it's going to be interesting to see how Colorado does play and how their change of style will result uh, you know, in the standings. The Winnipeg Jets, I think, are going to be a team to watch, but I think it's going to be very tough for them to make the playoffs. The St. Louis Blues, 
again, without Bacchus, uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. And Kevin Shattenkirk, how that situation is going to play itself out. Is he still going to be with the Blues or is he going to be traded? That's a big question mark. And again, this is Ken Hitchcock's last year. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's still questions in St. Louis and whether Jake Allen can carry the load. Uh, Brian Elliott is not there anymore. Brian Elliott is gone to Calgary now. So it's all on Jake Allen. So that's going to be interesting to see how that's going to play itself out in St. Louis. So question in Chicago's question in questions in St. Louis, Dallas, fantastic up front. So, so defense goaltending, who knows what you're going to get on any given game. Uh, that's a big question mark. And so this is where I think, you know, Nashville and Minnesota really have an opportunity to kind of propel themselves up uh, into the top of that division. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And but one team, one team I do think that was the darling two years ago, I think would be the team to watch uh, this season as well, and that's the Calgary Flames. Calgary. I think the Calgary, yes, the Calgary Flames. I think last year the goaltending was pitiful. I mean, absolutely god awful. And now they've brought in. Uh, Brian Elliott, they've brought in Chad Johnson as the backup. And if they can get some semblance of decent NHL goaltending, that could be a team to reckon with. And, and they can be a very dangerous team because that defense with Giordano, Brody, Dennis Weidman, Dougie Hamilton, I, I think they've got the pieces there where they can do something. And of course, their Alberta enemies up north, their rivals, the Edmonton Oilers, everything is going to be surrounding Connor McDavid. And it's going to be interesting to see if Edmonton can get up off the Schneider and, and finally make a run for the playoffs. So how good is Connor McDavid? Because we don't out here we don't get a ton of Edmonton games full stop. And then, you know, we don't because hockey kind of gets its place in the the pecking order of American sports, you know, we don't get to see it. But my friends who do know hockey, they're like, look, this dude is he's not even the truth. I mean, I hate to speak in hyperbole, but he's kind of in the LeBron James hype. I don't even want to use the word hype because it implies it's fake, but you know, in terms of the talent or prodigy level is that fair to say uh look let me put it this way for you to this guy has the skill and he combines it with world-class speed and there are very few players that have both so you have guys who are unbelievably quick but probably don't have the hands to match it, where their body flies faster than their hands can keep up some people have amazing hands but they don't have the foot speed this kid has got both, and that makes him so dynamic and so unbelievable. He can fly into the zone and just carry the puck through two defensemen with such blaring speed and with impeccable stick handling, and that is a scary thought because this kid is only 19 years old. That's the thing. That's and, his upside. It's just like it's just where what's the ceiling? Given again that he's 19, like you just said. Uh, uh, you know, we're looking at. Uh, I know people have talked about Crosby being the best player in the world. I think Connor could be in that conversation soon and even surpass. I, I mean, this kid is phenomenal based on the things he does with the puck at the speed in which he does it. I think that is the unbelievable part of Connor McDavid. He may well be the fastest player on the ice and have the best hands of anybody on the ice. And when you put those two things, two things together, it's unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, he's going to have a couple of line mates. Jordan Eberle is going to be on one wing, and Milan Lucic is going to be on the other. So you got Lucic who's going to go in there, and basically he's going to have two things. 
go dig pucks out in the corner and go stand in front of the net with your stick down on the ice. Just you make up. sure you do that, Connor McDavid will find you. Right. <laughs> That's going to be his role. Um, just get in the way of his for, pass and the puck will go in. Exactly. And yeah. Jordan Eberle, we saw in short spurts last season, his goal production went up exponentially when he started with Connor McDavid. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to watch uh, how Edmonton um, performs. I don't think there's any questions about Connor McDavid, and that's why they've named him the youngest captain in NHL history. I think it's going to be contingent upon how their defense performs and how their goaltending performs, because that has been the downfall for the Oilers for the last 10 years. I'm sitting here looking at his like overall bio and background and stuff like that, and I'm realizing that when Connor McDavid was born, I was a sophomore in high school, and I just feel so incredibly old at this point, so... <laughs> yes it's amazing. doesn't everybody yeah right now you see these guys and we can call them kids and like no they really are kids to us because that's how it is oh, such is life um so right now uh before the season start if you were a betting man and you had to place some form of monetary uh wager into this thing who would you have coming out of the east or coming out of the west or and coming out of the west well i Truth be told, I, I, I think it's so tight in the West. I literally think it's a toss-up. Um, San Jose making it back, I think it's going to be difficult. I really think this is the Nashville Predators' time. This is their opportunity where they can make a run. With a weekend Chicago, with a weekend uh, St. Louis, uh, Dallas with suspect goaltending, they are the only team that I think that has both you know, solidified both up front and in the back end, and then have a goalie who can help them push along. So I really do think it's the Nashville Predators' time. This is their window. This is their opportunity. So I'm going to pick the Nashville Predators here. Over in the East, I know you're based in Washington. Uh (laughs) I already know where this Um, is going, so you're not hurting my feelings. No, but you know what? I I think if there's one one thing, I'm going to say Washington, and I'm only going to say it for this reason. Because, like I said before, I think Tampa's gone on long extended runs. And to continue to make long extended runs year after year is difficult. It's very difficult, and I, and that's the concern I have with Tampa. Um, otherwise, honestly, I would have picked Tampa. But I, I think if the Capitals are going to make it, it that's going to be one of the reasons. And they're going to have to take advantage of that. The Pittsburgh Penguins... I think, obviously, they're going to be one of the favorites. The problem with the Penguins is it's very hard for any team in the NHL to repeat. Just based on that on that fact alone, Hasn't that's the only reason day. why... Exactly, and that's the only reason why I'm not going to pick the Penguins. Because history has told us it's very difficult for any team to go back-to-back. Uh, the Penguins actually did make it back-to-back along with Detroit. They were both finalists in back-to-back years, 2008-2009. But that's a lot to ask. Yeah. It's it's grueling. It's tough. It's very difficult to recreate magic that you had the previous year. And that's why I think both Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay, that's going to be working against them. And I think that's where Washington has the opportunity. But they got to take advantage of this opportunity quickly because if they don't, uh, their window is going to pass them by too. So I have to ask this question, and I don't mean for it to sound pointed because it's it's I just find it fun, you know, very comically ironic. But, you know, we still being, you know, ignorant red white and blue americans we still view you know hockey is 
is, is the Canadian sport. And, you know, we obviously have a huge fandom here. And as I was mentioning to you kind of before we, we were, um, before the podcast started that, you know, the Caps are definitely DC's number two team. You know, the Redskins are far and away. It's not even a competition, but all things being equal, I think the Capitals are very, very strongly entrenched as the number two team. So all that being said, you know, you have, Vancouver, Edmonton, and Winnipeg. And like, these are three stalwart, long-time storied franchises, and yet they were three of the worst teams in the NHL last season. Is that just dumb, I mean, just like dumb coincidence, or is there a reason, or is there anything behind it, or? Well, last season was the first time in 40-plus years where no Canadian, yeah, no Canadian team made the playoffs. Yeah. It's the first time in 40 years, and it's never been seen before, unprecedented. Um... You know, I think Montreal would have been a lot to make the playoffs, but Carey Price going down kind of derailed them. The Toronto Maple Leafs are on a massive rebuild. Mind you, they have Austin Matthews now. That's a game changer. Um, They've got young kids who are going to be in the lineup now with Mitch Marner and William Nylander. It's going to be interesting to see how this team performs. Um, I think they're going to be far from the playoffs still, but I think they're going to be much more interesting to follow. And you can certainly see that they're on the right path. The Ottawa Senators, they're kind of in that bubble area. Whether We don't know if they're good enough to make it, and we don't know if they're just a real horrible team and they're going to be out for a long period of time. It's going to be interesting to see how they perform, but their defense was suspect last year. They're going to have to play a lot better. Winnipeg, is a team to watch simply because of the fact that not only have Patrick Lane coming into the lineup, who's a dynamic scorer, but they have probably the best pool of prospects of any team in the National Hockey League. Mm. If you want to watch a team over the next two or three years, it's the Winnipeg Jets. Edmonton with Connor McDavid, that's a game changer, so it'll be interesting to see. Calgary is very young now with Monaghan and Goudreau is signed. You know, Sam Bennett is there. They got the defense. If they can get decent goaltending, they should be on the rebound as well. So I think Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, things are looking up. Toronto, things are looking up. Montreal, things are looking up. Ottawa, I think there's still a lot of question. I don't know how far up they can look. And Vancouver, many are pronosticating they're going to be the worst team in the league. Um, so they have nowhere to go but up. Because <laughs> right. they're I literally at the bottom right yeah. now. Um, for for a team that has uh, the Sedin brothers, who are surefire Hall of Famers for sure, um, you know, they're on the tail end of their careers and they haven't really brought up younger players to kind of take their place or fill the void. And I think it's going to be interesting to see because Vancouver is a team in transition and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they perform this season. They are telling the fan base that they're they're pushing for the playoffs, but many prognosticators are thinking Not so they're going to be far, far from the playoffs. It's funny because four or five years ago, the year when they, I, I think they had like 110 points or something in that neighborhood in the regular season, you know, you know, the Sedins were there and Luongo was unstoppable in goal and Luongo got the yips in the playoffs and everything kind of, it just seems like it all fell apart from there. That was a window, those back-to-back uh, President's Trophies in 2011, 2012. Uh, that was their window. And I think they never were able to recover yeah. from that 2011 Stanley Cup final versus the Bruins. Uh, they were up 2 nothing in that series. Uh, you know, winning both at home, heading to Boston. They just needed to win two of the last five games. And they couldn't seal the deal. Um, and <laughs> up in that, until that point, 42 out of 46 teams were able to seal the deal. They became the fifth team at that point to give up a 2 nothing lead uh, in the Stanley Cup final and lose. 
So they haven't been able to recover as a franchise. The city hasn't been able to recover um, from that, even though it's been five years. And now you're seeing this team that really needs to be on a rebuild. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what this season is going to look like in Vancouver. So everyone listening, you heard it here first, and I'm not going to hold you to it, Pupinder, because every single person who picks the Capitals to win always ends up wrong, just because that's DC sports in a nutshell. But you have an objective person who is not a DC resident saying the Capitals are actually going to emerge from the East. Let's hope to hell that you are right. Um, Pupinder, again, can't thank you. I, ho- I hope to hell I'm right, too. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time. All fantastic information. I really appreciate it. Um, and again, thank you. Really awesome stuff. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for everyone who's uh, listening, make sure you give them a follow on Twitter. That's at Bupender Hundle. Um, I'm going to go ahead and have a link to it on our site. But in the meantime, please make sure you not only refer today's episode to anybody else you, who knows who you know loves hockey, but also make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us some feedback. Tell us what you thought of today's podcast. Give us a follow on SoundCloud if you're there. And once again, thanks for listening. And let's go Caps. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts.